Global Capital Podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Global Capital Podcast. In a week when, perhaps for the first time in UK history, a Prime Minister was brought down, not by the opposition, but by the bond market. I'm John Hay, Corporate Finance and Sustainability Editor at Global Capital, and I'll be talking about the extraordinary events of this week with two of my colleagues. Hi John, thanks. I'm Frank Jackman, I'm Global Capital's Deputy Fig Editor. And I'm Mike Turner, Corporate uh, bonds reporter. Thanks for joining us. If you're listening to this, I'm sure you've worked out that the Global pa- Capital podcast is available free every Friday on all the best podcast platforms. And if you want to learn more about any of these subjects, you can read all about it at globalcapital.com. Before we get stuck into the UK's storm and drang, I'll just mention that later on we'll be discussing another spicy topic greenwashing. Specifically, HSBC, which this week got wrapped over the knuckles by the Advertising Standards Authority for advertisements highlighting its sustainability efforts. Now, if you turn to the Global Capital website this morning, you'll see a big picture of Liz Truss walking past number 10 Downing Street. And in the back of the picture, you can see the cat sitting on the windowsill and it's got its back to her. It's rather like everyone has turned their back on Liz Truss in the last few weeks. But it was the bond market that started it, wasn't it, Frank? Yeah, I think you'd have to go back. It feels like a very long time, but about four weeks to uh, the mini budget, as it had been dubbed, which was sort of Liz Truss and Kwasi Kwarteng, her then-Chancellor, their sort of plans to uh, kick-start the economy and get Britain back on its feet. And the the market did not agree. Um, there was massive volatility that followed. Gilts have risen almost 100 basis points in the 10 year it was not not a great response i think people did not like the uh the large number of unfunded tax cuts uh that trust had suggested and it went as far as the imf <laughs> multiple times criticized the government you know people were telling me that greece was jokingly offering uh response or offering help to the uk to respond to the the imf you know it's it's shocking people are saying is the uk now an emerging market you know someone called it a banana republic it's wow (laughs) and then after on the wednesday after the mini budget the the bank of england uh stepped in to to smooth things over didn't they and was that enough did that work Uh, to an extent so yeah the bank of england stepped in to start buying gilts but it it only lasted about a week before they had to increase the amount of gilts they were buying and start buying inflation linked inflation linked bonds as well you know it sort of uh, calmed the market a bit but if you look at yields they're still pretty elevated you know they're nowhere near back where they were so why is the pressure kept building on liz trust in, in from a market point of view it just seemed there was a lot of mixed messages coming from uh from number 10 and number 11 you know people saying yes we're going to go ahead with these these measures that proved unpopular only for them to roll back on them not that long after you know quasi quarting i think it was only last uh, last thursday was saying he is going to remain in the post as chancellor and yeah the following morning gone and we now have jeremy hunt who 
calmed the market somewhat by reversing a large amount of what was central to trustonomics and guilt yields of I think people are saying it's like a roller coaster. They go up one day, they go down, you know, and it's it's a pain. We've had very little or almost no sort of public sterling supply, uh, aside from a couple of DMO bits. You know, there's a Northumbrian water deal that is out today, which fingers crossed could hopefully reopen the market. But for anyone that wanted to raise sterling, no, if you're pricing off gilts, why why would you want to do that when they're changing rapidly throughout the day is is tough and people obviously weren't pleased mm. so so yeah you mentioned northumbrian water um and it came the day after liz truss resigned um bankers on that deal told me that her resignation was irrelevant um which feels a bit flippant because they're it's as you say it's had such an effect on on the gilt market and the sterling market but w- when her resignation finally came what did you see the reaction was for the markets? Um, well, if you look at the yields on the 10-year gilt, uh, in the moments of when it started, when they brought the podium out in front of number 10, the yield started to drop, and I think it actually reached the day's low slowly before, slowly, shortly before she resigned. Um, but they're back up again, and I think the, the sheer amount of uncertainty in the, over the future of the UK, whether we're going to go back to Boris Johnson just under two months after he uh, resigned in shame, people people aren't sure how to uh, how to respond. You know, they, you know, it's rapidly, quickly changing. So, so um, this whole per- period has obviously <coughs> knocked confidence in in the UK in the markets. Um, but um, you know. C- can can now that now that both trust and Quateng have gone, uh, is confidence going to come back quickly? Do you think? Um, I think it could do. I know there's the uh, the big date ten days from now is October thirty first, where Jeremy Hunt, possibly you know, he's still chancellor by then, will be presenting the the medium term fiscal plan alongside a sort of analysis of the spending from the the Office for Budget Responsibility which the absence of one of those OBR reports was one of the reasons back in the last budget four weeks ago that upset the market. Um, but yeah, people are people hope that Hunt's still there. Someone's calling him the adult in the room, which <laughs> surprises me a little bit considering people were so so against him when he was uh, health secretary for so many years. You know, people have dubbed the, uh, the, the rapid widening in the yields the moron premium uh much in uh sort of obviously not pleased with uh some of the decisions made by the the former prime minister and the former chancellor the one concern that multiple people have told me is you know the new prime minister is going to be in by the end of the week you know they they come in at the end of the week and they've only got three four days to sign off on a uh, fiscal plan on a change budget you know is that is that going to be feasible you know Will we delay that? It's, mm. it's a debate that the market's having. You know, there's... It seems a bit um, odd that you know we got into this mess because basically they made economic policy in too much of a hurry and didn't listen to anybody. And now everybody's saying make economic policy in a hurry, right? Aren't they? Yeah. So yeah. No, it's, it's one has crazy. to one has to fear something could go wrong. 
And also, yes, just definitely. from a just from a sentiment point of view, the the hard facts and cold numbers are are a big part of sentiment, but so is sort of public opinion and investor opinion. And holding such a high stake budget on Halloween is just baffling. <laughs> Why on earth would they decide to do that? It's it's just wild. You're trying to cover the fact that uh, you're superstitious, aren't you, Mike? You, I'm, well, you, I'm, not you... I'm not superstitious at all, but <laughs> being being surrounded by doom and gloom in in pop culture and in mm. in TV and things, and then and then trying to do this, it's it's like they're setting themselves up for terrible headlines. You can just see the trick or treat headlines, can't you? Exactly. In fact, um, you know. <laughs> Something uh, wicked this way comes. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully treat. Let's fingers crossed on treat. <laughs> yeah. All right. So what what do you think um, the, the new government needs to do? I mean, both of you, what do the markets want to hear them say? It's restoring credibility and stability. You know, the head of Fig Syndicate told me yesterday, you know, the UK was sort of renowned for being a, a relatively credible country, you know, had a decent standing in the world and at least the finance side trashed it in the last four weeks and i think people people want to see something stable that credibility is key you know i think mark carney a few years ago talked about the the uk relies on the kindness of strangers to uh mm. to help fund the uh on the deficit I believe but um meaning yeah, foreign we, uh, investors foreign, buying the yes. bonds right? yes and we're at that sort of key point where borrowing is going up um the UK DMO bumped up its borrowing program by a sizable chunk in part to fund the uh, much needed energy price guarantee over the winter. And yeah, we're we're gonna rely on those investors in particular to sort of help her support us. And you know, if the UK doesn't present itself as a credible investment, we're, we're mm. going to be a bit stuck. Well, I think the I think the other thing as well, unfortunately, is time. It's it's just going to take time yeah. to to build up this credibility. Mm. The the good thing about um, sort of G seven countries when it comes to the capital markets is that fundamentally they're they're quite boring. That's why they're mm. not emerging markets. You know, people know what to mm. expect and mm. they know what's coming. And then this quasi quarting budget just totally totally trashed that idea <laughs> for the UK. Um, and and investors reacted accordingly. So having another um, prime minister put in place in a week uh, just adds to that uncertainty and and makes it feel much less predictable. So uh, yeah, so I think a, a big ingredient of the UK's credibility coming back is just going to be time and proving that um, there is a set course that investors can rely on and can sort of see is going to happen and won't yeah. be changed. It's interesting you you mentioned G7. I think that's an interesting point because thinking about, you know, this this really is a case where the bond market has has been an active player in politics. It's it it was the bond market and the currency, you know, the the sterling itself, the the price of sterling. Um but but really the bond market sort of is the one that delivered the blow, the verdict against the mini budget. And the and it, and it, to 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 us in the UK it seems extraordinary, right? We're not used to that happening at all. It's it's very rare to talk to shopkeepers and taxi drivers and hear on the radio about the bond market. But but if you think about it, that's actually not unusual in many countries, and and in emerging markets, it's obviously very important. Uh, you know, a lot of them have br- brushed with defaults at, at various times, and these these. Uh, 
defaults on international debt can be can be savage experiences for uh, countries. And 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 after all, only even in Europe, Ireland, Italy, Spain, Portugal, uh, Greece, they were all at, at the mercy of uh, bond prices for for many years. Um, in the last decade so um it's it's sort of it's its power is being felt in in a g7 country in a way that uh, we're not used to now mike you've been covering corporate bonds this week and um Clearly, it's been an, an exceptional week in markets generally. Was it a good week for the corporate bond market? Uh, you know, given that good is now uh, a very relative term to the bad that's come just before it, it wasn't, it wasn't a bad week for corporate bonds, actually. Were there some deals? Uh, there, well, yeah, there were. For starters, there were deals, which is always, always a good sign. But um, the kind of deals that we saw were... Um, we saw one big jumbo deal with four tranches, which is uh, quite a rarity in this kind of market. Things are far too mm-hmm. volatile for, for many issuers to get away with that. But also there was a mm-hmm. level of pragmatism among um, issuers of coming to the market and not expecting perhaps to um, be able to price very close to their curves or very close to their secondary uh, comparables and still getting deals done. So, so who were the issuers this week? Um, so... Across the board, we had um, FCA Bank, which is um, uh, linked to automobile finance. Um, uh, we had uh, some Spanish and Italian issuers, and we also had Tenet, which is the Dutch-German electricity um, transmission operator. Uh huh. And is that the one that did uh, did the big deal? Yeah. So they they did four tranches, um, all of them green. It's it's Europe's. Um, biggest green corporate bond issuer by by amount issued, um, which makes it the biggest corporate bond issuer by amounts issued. Very well loved, uh, and it's one of the few issuers who could go out to a twenty year maturity, which it did in this in this deal. Um, until now, the last twenty year maturity we had was from uh, a company called Deutsche Bahn, and they are they're a corporate issuer, but they're they're very much a sort of pseudo government agency because they have the mm. the backing of the German state. Um so really you're taking a bet on whether the German state will uh will bail out the company if anything goes wrong. And so lots of issuers have, have shied away from issuing twelve and twenty year bonds <coughs> like Tenet did, but but um did Tenet turn out to be right to, to, to give it a go? Absolutely. Yeah that's that's the thing. This this market is the kind of market where deals can become impossible to price. You just can't can't come to the market. And that can be down to um, things like public holidays, obviously, which is which has been sort of par for the course for a long time, um, although you could sometimes still get deals away. Uh, but, but now a, a much newer thing to stop deals happening are, are central bank meetings. Um, you know, not that long ago, you could still, maybe not a big jumbo deal, but you could definitely get a 500 million deal away on a, on a central bank meeting day. Um, and and it would probably go okay, uh, and also sort of data dump days, days when you get inflation prints or uh, mm. employment levels, you know, think, think these sort of big macro um, events, uh, and and you can't really get away with deals on those days anymore because of central bank tightening and you know soaring inflation and things like that. It just means that investors are far more focused on these 
these event days. Um, so that means that the issuance window for corporates is it can slam shut very quickly, but as Tenet showed, it can also open quite quickly. And when it does open uh, and and issuers take the opportunity, they can get pretty good results like Tenet did this week. Mm. And when you say open quickly, is that because people hadn't expected Tenet to come? Well, um, literally a banker that, that ran the Tenet deal told me on Monday, Monday was not a great day for deals. Um, FDA Bank and Adif Alta Velocidad, they both got deals done which is great. And, you know, they got the money and that, you know, it's money they needed. So good for them. But they didn't manage to move the spread from where they started marketing it to where they launched. They, that stayed completely mm-hmm. um, uh, frozen. They didn't manage to tighten mm-hmm. it. They didn't get enough interest from investors to be able to squeeze on the pricing at all. So I had a, I had a, someone who, who later ran the tenant deal tell me on Monday evening that they didn't think they were going to bring any deals this week because the market wasn't looking mm. good for it. So, you know, mm. so it shows how quickly things can change. That's two days later, they then come with this this big jumbo deal that, that ticks a lot of boxes and, and, you know, does does great. Yeah. Do you think there's a lesson there for issuers? Yeah. I mean, the, the lesson, and it's been there for a while now, the lesson is to just be ready to pull the trigger. Um, there's no, no waiting around in this market. Um, obviously, Tenet mm. had this lined up and knew they were going to do this, but dithering could have easily stopped them from being able to to do the deal you know yeah, waiting for yeah. in, in the old days you'd get a lot of and and actually i say the old days um in september uh there were quite a few <laughs> issuers who who said that they were holding off on doing deals because you know it looked a bit choppy um uh, this was when rate rises were really starting to pick up um among central banks in in the west so they were going to hold off until november and we're coming close to November now. Uh, and November, the reason for November being that we're now in the sort of corporate earnings blackout period. Um, so people yeah. are waiting for their fresh earnings reports. But now we're coming to November and things are looking way worse. And those issues who held off are going to have to deal with that. So it's a case of prepping your deal, being ready, and then just taking that chance when it comes and accepting that, that good enough is, is what you're aiming for now rather than perfect. Yeah, because Tenet did have to pay up quite a lot, didn't they? Compared with their secondary bonds. Uh, Yes. So at the shorter end, so Tenet printed deals at six year, nine and a half year, and then the more difficult 12 and 20 years. So six and nine and a half are much more common maturities at the moment. And they they paid sort of that 25, 30 basis point range for those, which, which is standard, which isn't too bad. Um, for the longer maturities, uh, they were looking at, at the sort of 55 basis points to 60 basis points range, which is when it starts to get quite quite chunky. Mm. For example, the FCA Bank deal, that price, but didn't manage to tighten. So in an ideal world, they would tighten. They, they also paid a 60 basis point uh, new issue premium. And that was, that was considered um, rocky enough that it made the, the tenant league think they weren't going to bring a deal later in the week, for example. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that being said, a 20-year deal is, is quite a statement in, in today's market. Um, and paying a 60 basis point new issue concession is is probably, a, you know, all things considered, it's okay to be getting 20-year money and paying that sort of concession. That make, That makes sense. And and on the twenty year, did they start even wider than that? Yeah, so they they started with a 
80 basis point new issue concession. Right. So you know they managed to bring it in. Yeah. But one of the one of the key messaging um, points coming from syndicate desks at the moment, from the banks running these deals, is that issuers need to be prepared to pay the amount that they start marketing at. So I'm right. sure that tenants yeah. banks would have told tenant this that they need to prepare to pay an 80 basis point new issue concession um, on the 20 year if if they can't reduce the the spread. Yeah. Okay. So, um, given all this, I mean, it's a mixed picture, isn't it? It's clearly not not an easy market. You're going to have to pay up, but there are, you can get a deal done. Do you think? Do you think we'll see much more this year? Um, I think the it's definitely a mixed picture. You're right, and I think in terms of for the rest of the year, so there's this November issuance window, um, which is always quite fraught because by the time you get to the sort of first week of December that's when things really start to trail off because investors have gone home. But but uh, I had someone tell me this week that um, investors, bankers and issuers, they're all done with this year. They just they just want it to be ticked off and to move into 2023. Um, syndicate desks aren't going to make budget this year because there just hasn't hasn't been enough in the way of deals. Um, everyone's done. So with that being said, mm-hmm. the November issuance window will probably be um, fairly quiet. But there is some hope. Um, I had uh, a, a DCM banker um, at a, a very busy bank um, tell me that, that they're looking at a few hybrid deal potentially, and they're looking at trades across the, the triple B rating spectrum. Um, so from triple B plus down to the bottom rung of investment grade at triple B minus. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So there is stuff there, but in terms of a regular November, it will probably feel more quiet. Okay, well, and it and it's certainly a year that um, nobody will treasure the memory of, is it? Um, okay. Uh, and well, it, um, unless you're the lettuce who beat Liz Truss. <laughs> yep. Uh, all right. Thanks very much, Mike. So, talking of lettuce, green of a different kind was very much in the headlines this week when HSBC received the verdict of the Advertising Standards Authority in the UK, which is the body that regulates advertising uh, except for broadcast. And this is the result of a complaint brought a year ago by a tiny NGO called Ad Free Cities, very much a grassroots organisation, nothing to do with the capital markets at all. Um, And they complained that um, HSBC had, had been publishing ads that... Um, sort of bigged up its uh, em- environmental credentials and uh, and sort of objected to them basically. So what do you th- what do you think that will mean for for the financial world? It's strange that that someone so removed from capital markets can have an impact and, and make, for example, a splash in global capital pages. So what do you think it means it is, for, for the yeah. finance world? It is very strange, and um, I think I think the interesting thing about it is that. It wasn't that HSBC's ads were untrue. So one of them said um, they both had the slogan "Climate change knows no borders," and then and one of them said um, something like, "You know, at HSBC we're we're investing a trillion dollars to help clients transition towards net zero," and the other one referred to the fact that they were planting two million trees in the UK. Now, both of these statements are true. Um, but it was the fact that the the NGO uh, alleged and, and the complaint was upheld 
that in doing this, HSBC, by leaving out all the financing it does for fossil fuels, um, was giving a misleading picture of of itself and presenting itself as an overall sustainable bank, um, which, which wasn't the case. And you know, lots of people in the capital markets might might be astonished at that to begin with, because it just seems perfectly normal and, and understood that a bank would be financing oil companies. And, and the new thing is they're doing um, some green things. But um, that wasn't how the regulator saw it. So do you think there's a degree of the regulators are trying to stop banks pulling the wool over public's eyes, that, that they're somehow a green bank? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and... and... So presumably, you know, everyone does this. Everyone says that they've just done a green deal. Um, look at our new green deal. Look how fancy it is. But everyone also, when I say everyone, I mean banks, also finance uh, fossil fuels, right? That's right. Um, and, and, and I think this, I mean, the regulator explicitly said, um, because the same NGO had also complained later about Barclays and Standard Chartered along similar lines, though in more detail, in fact, and the regulator said, look, we, we're going to park those complaints um, because we're dealing with the HSBC one. And, and the, the ruling on that will will have wide effect. I'm paraphrasing the exact words, but but um, but it's clear that this ruling is going to affect other, you know, it's going to be it sets a precedent and a principle. And, and everybody in, who advertises in the UK is going to have to pay attention to it. Um, and, you know, it's not uncommon for things that are introduced in one country to spread to others before long. Um, so um, what, what I think it will mean is that at a minimum, um, certainly we know it applies to banks, but it could end up applying to certainly other financial institutions and industrial companies. If they're presenting something they do as green, they need to also somehow explain their overall environmental impact. Um, and this was the main point the NGO made, that, you know, they, um, if you're putting a lot of money into fossil fuels, um, that's generating a huge amount of emissions. And, you know, if you just leave that out, it's, it's not a fair picture. I've covered green financing for for many years, and I can't help but feel that this is probably a good thing. It's good to be more um, transparent with both sides of the scale. But but how how do you feel about that, John? Yeah, I, I think um, it, it's interesting. When I when I first read about it, I I thought I was sort of on HSBC's side, if you know what I mean. And I don't I don't mean that I was really taking sides, but but to explain it like that and then actually I saw the other point of view quite strongly and I, and I do think you're right it, it um it needs to be um the, the, the full picture needs to be given it's not that people uh shouldn't uh, trumpet the green things they're doing and I think if it's important that that doesn't get stamped out altogether because it, you know part of the incentive for doing things that help the environment is to get some good publicity there's nothing wrong with that it's it, it's a good thing in itself and it also helps to promote more widely uh, that that this is a good a good thing you know if hsbc says it's 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 a green bank that encourages other banks to think being a green bank is a good thing and it encourages society to expect banks to be green 
So there is a virtuous circle from from all this. But on the other hand, you know, why should um, the reality be kept under wraps and only for sort of management in the boardroom? Um, you know, and and the public just given the sort of green puff. I think I think it, the the full picture deserves to be given to the public too. Mm. And I suppose there's an argument as well that these the sort of dirty sectors that are in in many cases transitioning need the funding to transition. So it might not be fully. Um, it might not tell the whole story to say, oh, we've given 120 billion to to dirty sectors over X amount of years, when in fact some of that money might have gone towards transitioning. That's right. And and in fact, a lot of the money in the trillion that uh, HSBC is going to provide will be to precisely those fossil fuel and other uh, heavily polluting com companies because they are transitioning. But it shows that these, these sort of um, glib, numbers are, are are not very informative in fact and uh, you know it, it, for years actually this this idea of this this sort of green funding target has been around for 10 years or so um initially there was sort of banks saying we'll do 100 billion and they've grown to trillions um but um, um the, the point is that doesn't tell you very much you know how green are those companies in fact are they are they transitioning if they're transitioning, are they transitioning fast enough? You know, Shell, BP and the other oil companies are all transitioning. But, you know, there's wide differences of opinion about whether they're doing it fast enough. So I think um, what we need is to get to better metrics. And this is why people have been pushing for, for a long time for banks to publish their carbon footprints of, of the financing they do. And it is actually possible. It, it, the banks will often say, oh, we haven't got the data, but they could make estimates without much difficulty. And th this has taken an extremely long time to, to arrive. HSBC has begun to, to get the figures together, but they, you know, they're, they're only publishing partial figures at the moment. If they had been producing these figures for five years, they might be able to show a positive trend. And I think it's that positive trend that, that gives the real picture of the bank's performance. And that's what the public is going to demand in in due course well that's it for today thank you very much for listening we hope you've enjoyed it and thank you also to mike and frank for joining me thank you thanks john given how quickly everything's been happening in the uk political sphere let's hope that all of our information isn't out of date by the time this podcast comes out mm -hmm.